there's a particular group of Greek weirdos called the Pythagoreans, and they said that there is a literal music of the spheres that you can actually hear them going around if you're in the right state of mind. So they could sit on the beach. Yep. And you could hear Jupiter going overhead. Whoa! Good morning, Matt. Good morning, Philip. How are things? It's a little steamy over here. In, uh, it is a little steamy here in New York. We've skipped over spring and gone right into summer. Yes. Or as, as we call it in Brooklyn, it's, it's schwitzy. It's a little schwitzy. It's a and little. schwul, as the Germans would say. Oh, is that right? Schwul. Do they also go, to, like, uh, in New York, there is the schwitz, which, is, which would be the baths. Uh, yeah, they- schwitz would be a bath as well. Yeah. And in German, would they go to the Schwul? No. Um, And that could lead to some um, amusing misunderstandings because, so Schwul means like hot and wet, right? Humid. Uh Uh, But it's also slang for uh, gay men. That is, you'd say, ich bin Schwul. That's interesting. So so you'll want to be slightly careful about the context in which you use Schwul in the bathhouse. Wow. Wow. There's a whole documentary in there. Yep. <laughs> so that's quite fascinating. <laughs> quite fascinating. Um, we are, uh, we were discussing this morning prior to the show uh, in the uh, WTIF studios lounge in the commissary. <laughs> We've got this beautiful cafeteria set up. Yeah. It's, it, it, there's really only the two of us, but it's built for thousands. <laughs> It's important to plan ahead. It's right, exactly, and uh, we have one like automated coffee machine there that uh, eventually will have one employee. Maybe that I think that would be the first job I would assign an employee would be making yeah, the coffee right. in the commissary. And um, we were talking about alternate um, models for the universe, or meaning ancient ancient ideas, yeah, crazy ideas that people of um, fine repute mm-hmm. had. And, yeah, uh, models that now seem crazy, but made a whole lot of sense once upon a time. Right, right, right. Um, and we, one of them, there were many, uh, or just tell me, there, there were just a few different ones that you mentioned. And, uh, oh, sure, yeah, there's the, the classical Greek model, which these sort of nested spheres and uh, the Cartesian model where there are these whirlpools and vortices that fill the universe and make everything happen. And, uh, Kepler had this strange thing with platonic solids and music that made the planets go around. It's, uh, uh, the, the, the diversity of ideas um, is really quite extraordinary. He said that the music made it go around? Well, sort of part of the, right. uh, as an explanation for the going around. Right, right, right. right. Um, so when I was a kid, and learning these different ideas. Um, the funny thing is, I, 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 pro tip for science teachers that if you teach in, in the order, which is not uncommon of beginning with these older ideas and mm-hmm. working your way towards present ideas for how the solar system works, there's a danger of, um, the older ones 
being really cool. <laughs> Too cool. So cool that but it's it's anticlimactic by the time you get to the real one, which is look, there's plenty of amazing stuff, absolutely, about mm-hmm. reality. But you know, especially for the kid like mind, um some of those earlier things obviously are easier to grasp. Um Yes. Yeah. And and it was uh, Plato's spheres. Uh, it, that I remember that grabbing me in particular because I found it both exciting and scary. That because <laughs> you know what it was, I must, I was really little, and the um, Apollo missions were underway. Okay. And I was born in '67, so I was two when um, when they landed on the moon, and then they continued going forward. And I remember watching that, of course, on TV, and the idea that. They, if they went too far, they would hit the shell. Mm. Yep. Uh, was just utterly uh, fascinating and horrifying to me. That could be a real problem. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So, how did that work? What did, uh, so it was, it was Plato. And tell well, us who, it's, who it's, is. It's hard to know precisely who to attribute this to, actually. Okay. Um, we'd say it's a classical Greek idea. So, I think the, the earliest person we have who talked about the, the celestial spheres is a dude named Eudoxus. Mm. And we essentially don't know anything other than that he had this idea that the, the celestial spheres were nested together. And then Plato runs with it and Aristotle runs with it and Ptolemy runs with it. So Eudoxus, um, was, he was a one-hit wonder. Well, as far as we know, right? We, right. He, he literally exists as a footnote in other people's writings. Literally uh, a footnote. Yeah. There's a, a, lo- a lot of the ancient Greeks are like that. <laughs> we only know them insofar as they were cited. So cite your sources, kids. Cited by other Greeks or cited by, by other Greeks? Yeah. They didn't really have footnotes, did they? They did not, but they would have, we'd call them parenthetical. So Plato uh-huh. would say something like, of course, it is known from the great Eudoxus that the universe is a series of nested spheres and then go on to explain it. That's like, awesome. That be, that's, that's all we awesome. know. So, you know, aim, aim high. Look, we can't all be Einstein. We can't all be Aristotle. Uh, but, you know, aim to be a parenthetical. <laughs> it's not, I'm, I'm, it's I'm okay. willing to accept that as my fate. Yeah. 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 So Eudoxus um, had, had an idea for spheres. Yeah, that's right. So there's um, the, the place where this comes from is two uh, observations about the world around us. Um, the first is that the Earth is clearly at the center of the world. And world here meaning what we would mean by universe, sort of all things that exist. Mm-hmm. So, so how do you know that the Earth is at the center of everything? Well, everything seems to go around us. Yep, exactly. Day right. and it's, it's, night. It's, that's, that's, the, that's incredibly straightforward, and that's essentially what it is. Right? Right. You see the sun go around you every day, right. and then you see the moon go around you every month. <laughs> it's, it's a very straightforward conclusion that we're at the center and things are going around. Right. So that then raises the question of why do the things go around or in, in what manner? Right. Um, and one of the conclusions that you might draw is you say, well, if we had a series of shells, perfectly transparent shells nested like an onion mm. with the earth at the center, then each shell uh, just rotates around the earth and carries the sun or the moon or a planet with it. So things that go around us quickly, like the sun, um, is clearly in a shell close to us. 
because the shell is small. And then things that take a long time to go around, like Saturn, are clearly in a shell uh, out near the edge because they take longer to go around. You know, that, aside from Mercury and Venus, that's... Uh Yep, um, that's right. Yeah, so Mercury and Venus cause some problems with this system. So some of the, I should say, um, the sun and the moon are called planets in this scheme because anything that moves across the sky uh, is a planet. Interesting. Yeah, it means wanderer in Greek. Uh Uh So so some of them are straightforward, like the sun clearly, the sun's uh, sphere clearly circulates um, once every 24 hours, right? And right. the moons once every twenty-eight days, uh, but it turns out that the uh, the planets as we think of them are a little more complicated, um, because right. they 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 sometimes do this weird thing called uh, retrograde motion. Right, right. So, so before we step into that more complex thing, I'm I'm just trying to grasp a simple thing. Yeah. Uh, for instance, this and even the sun is a little bit unusual because it's this burning thing, but. So let's look at the moon. The moon is in a, they would say the moon is in a transparent sphere. Yep. Was there a special name for these spheres or just spheres, what we call it? Um, crystalline spheres. They were made of aether, uh, if you want to be a technical term. Yeah. Awesome. Aether. It's a perf- perfect crystal. An aether, which we later would call ether. Yep, exactly. Interesting. But the ether that scientists talked about up until Einstein, or or there, or up until the around that period, mm-hmm. uh, was like a was like a gaseous substance. Well, it's in, in both cases, um, ether means the the invisible stuff that fills space. Oh, that's, <laughs> it's kind of like dark matter. A little bit like that, yeah. And I should say, so the Greeks conceptualized it as um, as a solid material. So if you got a tall enough ladder, you could go poke the crystalline spheres. Wow, that's interesting. So, here's what's what's a little bit weird about that is that it's a crystal sphere, which you can imagine, but mm-hmm. for some reason, there is a, uh, I would say rock, but maybe they imagined it as some kind of pearl, or but what did they say the moon Hard was? Hard to say, precisely. Did they think of the moon as a... Oh, the moon itself? Yeah. Um, yeah, so it's uh, the planets, including the moon and the sun were made of some particular substance. I don't think they had any sense of precisely what it was. Right. So Plato talks about it as fire. Um, and, uh, but it's, yeah, so it's bright, but not always hot. So it's, it's ambiguous stuff. Right. And some sort of glowing thing. And, uh, yeah. but, so it's like this crystal sphere with one jewel embedded in it. Yeah, that's a good way to think about it. Which is, uh, Weirdly ungainly to mine, right? <laughs> it's sort of like you would imagine two or... Well, it is sort of asymmetric, yeah. Yeah, yeah. And um, so they imagined that there's this sphere and they had no idea what the solid substance was either. It was just a... Right, right. yeah, it's just a name. Okay. And uh, did they have an idea... Where that came from, or they just said uh, Zeus or God? Well, every, there's a lot of disagreement about this in the olden days. So uh, Plato has a whole creation narrative in which the Demiurge uh, comes into being and enforces order on the chaos of the universe. 
So that's actually his image. Oh, is awesome. that okay. everything is just everything was just messy, and then the demiurge shows up and shapes it into uh, an orderly thing that we see today. Mm-hmm. Um, Aristotle actually had a logical proof that there couldn't have been a moment of creation, uh, which which essentially goes. Um, if you say what created the world, then you need to ask what created that thing. And then you say what created that thing and what right. created that thing. So you get this endless uh, loop of inquiry. Right. So he says, you just have to accept that the world has always been here. Interesting. Interesting. Yeah. So, so that it, um, it like the gods themselves. Well, it sounds like even that the world would have existed before the gods. Perhaps. Yeah, Aristotle wasn't so hot on gods. Um, oh, interesting. But, uh, so we yeah. had an early atheist. Yeah, that's not quite the right, the right term either. <laughs> <laughs> so, but his, uh, his sense of the divine is very different than ours. Or, whereas Plato, it's, uh, his, his sense of the deity is closer to our modern sense, hmm. which is why the early Christians are all Neoplatonists, actually. Oh, okay. Mm-hmm. Interesting. So, so we got this crystal substance of unknown material with um a jewel of unknown material in it yeah and it spins around us did did he estimate distances in any way yeah actually you can do the the estimates um if you uh, you can do the relative estimates um pretty easily that is uh mm-hmm. if they're whatever the distance from the earth to the sun is then you can get proportional distances out to all the other uh, planets without too much difficulty. Um, and the universe is a pretty uh, cozy place in the <laughs> scheme of things. Right? Yeah. Um, it's hard to know precisely. Uh, they didn't have a, a very precise guess, but easily um, the whole universe fits within the modern uh, orbit of the moon. Oh, okay. So the entire universe fits within what we now know is the distance to the moon. Mm-hmm. Yeah, we're pretty, it's a, it's a cozy spot. Okay. But to them, those were huge distances. Exactly, right? right. If you've never left Macedonia, um, right. that's a titanic distance. Right. Uh, so, okay, great. Now, so, so the moon and, and all the other, the, the moon, the sun, and the planets beyond Earth, mm-hmm. all... One, okay, so so you were right. You were about to talk about retrograde, All right? Yeah, motion. yeah. Um, so this is where things get a little confusing for this model. Right. Is uh, so on average, the sun goes around the Earth both once a day mm-hmm. and once a year, right? Oh, somebody was so stunned by that. Yeah, that they, <laughs> they, they, they dropped what they were holding. They dropped their hammer. <laughs> So the moon uh, goes around. Oh, sorry, the sun goes around the Earth. You mean because it, uh, because of the seasons? Exactly. Okay. Right. Um, so the sun actually has a couple different motions. Right. And most of the planets have something like that too. So, for instance, uh, Venus goes around the Earth once a year, but it also um, sort of has a jitter. That means that over the course of that year, it goes back and forth a lot too. Right. So same with the sun. It's, it's, it, it, it's, that, it's not that once a year it does a special loop. It's just that um, it goes around every day mm-hmm. 
and within that day, it moves a little bit. So there, a there's little a bit. cycle. Yeah. Right. That's right. So it's over time. Right. So for the sun, this is not especially noticeable. Um, but for something like Mars, this is the, the classic example. Right. If you go out every night and you look uh, up at where Mars is, you'll see it against the background of stars, the fixed stars, as they mm-hmm. said. Mm-hmm. And every night it will be a little further to the east. Okay. Uh-huh. uh-huh. Right. And that's because its its sphere is carrying it along steadily. Fine. For However, the east, meaning it's it's so there's if there if it's in front of a constellation. Mm-hmm. I don't know if it, would it go in front of the Big Dipper? Is that one of the? Uh, no. No. Um, so so one of the one of the zodiac. Yeah. Zodiac. In front of Taurus. Taurus. Mm-hmm. And at one point, you know, one night it appears to be within that constellation at a particular place. Yep. And w- during the course of that night, you don't really see it move. Right. It would be very hard. Right. And then nighttime comes and you don't know what's going on. And then mm-hmm. it comes back for the next evening's show. And it's yep. in a different place. Right. It's actually moved within that constellation. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. by the, towards the east, you say, you mean to the left. Uh, if you're in the Northern Hemisphere. Yeah. Okay. Right. Yeah. Um, so if you chart that night by night, um, Mars will eventually be back in front of the same constellation uh, after about a year. Uh-huh. Uh-huh. Okay. So if you just check once a year, it's always pretty much in the same spot. Right. But if you watch every night, you'll notice that every now and then, uh, maybe once or twice a year, yeah. um, Mars stops moving to the east. Yep. And then the next night, it's moved a little bit west. Uh-oh. And it does that for a couple nights in a row, and then stops, and then goes back towards the east again. That would totally freak me out. So if you're tracing this on the sky, yeah. it, Mars suddenly has done this little loop, and then continues on its merry way. Um, so this raises unusual questions, right? Yeah, because it would seem to the completely uneducated human, it would seem like it had a mind of its own. That's right. It's moving in a, a non-orderly way, right. we could say. Um, but Eudoxus and others point out that, yeah, it, it acts weird now and then, but the weird acting is itself orderly. That is, you can predict exactly when oh. Mars is going to go retrograde. So right. that suggests there's another natural law at work, right? Another pattern uh-huh, uh-huh. that makes that happen. Um, the problem here is that, so you can, so by, uh, you know, Aristotle's time, third century BC, you can write down uh, a formula that lets you predict retrograde motion very precisely. But that's not the same as knowing why it goes retrograde. Right, exactly. And, and by right. the way, so just so people understand, the reason they could do all this was that because for hundreds or would it have been, th- do we know how many years records they would have had? Uh, they would have had access uh, more or less to the Babylonian records, which would be a couple of thousand years. Right. So, wow. So already these, that's, that's kind of sophisticated science. Exactly. So these Greek right. guys, they have got 2000 years of data mm-hmm. that logged every night where Mars was. And so they saw the same pattern over and over. Which is an amazing thing. Right? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so the problem is that we had explained why Mars went around at all because it was embedded in this sphere and the sphere was spinning. Right? 
So, mm-hmm. so one solution is to say that the sphere stops spinning every now and then, spins back the other way, and then resumes spinning. Right. Oh, and by, and I guess I assume the star are all the stars in one sphere. Like that's correct. Yeah, all the the fixed stars, as we call them, are all in one sphere at the, right. the far end. Okay. Yeah. So that you know that's a plausible physical scenario, except it mucks with um, the the very idea of why the spheres move. So the the, the spheres are made of this crystal, this aether, yeah. and it is the nature of aether to move in perfect circles. Sure. And we all so know this, is, this is Plato's obsession. It's all about perfect circles. Oh, okay. Um, and the heavens are perfect, and we're not. Right? Uh, Shouldn't uh, take too much persuading to convince you that our lives are not perfect, right? Right. Yeah. So but Definitely um, the motions of other people. Right. <laughs> Highly <laughs> imperfect. Subway. Yeah, the subway. <laughs> the subway itself. Yeah, you could just go on and on. Yeah. An onion uh, of imperfect. So we've got this, this problem then. So it's the... It is the nature of the crystalline spheres to always turn perfectly at a perfect normal standard rate. So if you let them stop and change direction, then they're not perfect anymore. Right. Right. Not to mention, and I assume they had some sense of things like momentum. and. This is, uh, they did, but it was a little different um, than ours. Mm -hmm. So this is a problem for the last couple centuries BC is that they've got this mathematical model that lets them predict where the planets are going to be, but it doesn't really agree with the physical explanation for the motion of the planets. Yeah. Now, this is interesting to note, for instance, that they, or at least some of them, weren't satisfied by simply saying, look, we got a couple thousand years record. It's, mm-hmm. it's, it just works. It, you know, we pretty much got, we, we can cut, in other words, <laughs> this is what the quantum uh, <laughs> mechanics scientists would say. We can calculate it. What, what do you need to know? You want to know mm-hmm. where Mars is going to be 2000 years from now? We can tell you on, on your birthday. But, um, but we don't know why. Well, who cares? They're, yep, they're that's actually, right. And this is, yeah. and the reason, one of the reasons they, they got away with that for so long is that they thought about, um, the disciplines within science differently than we do. So Mm. there was mathematics, which included astronomy. um, And that was all about doing the calculations. So like if you were an engineer or an astronomer or, or interestingly, a musician, you were a mathematician. Cool. Okay. So you're just about calculating things. Yeah. And then across the street are the philosophers and the philosophers are the ones who figure out why things happen, right? The, The meaning behind things. So physics is a subset of philosophy, not of mathematics. Okay, because it's why. So why and how? Why do things move? Right. Yep. Why and how were the same question in a way. Mm-hmm. Uh-huh. So this is so the physicists were the ones whose job it was to figure out why things went around, but they didn't do math. So the exact position on the sky didn't bother them. And then in perfect, in which perfect is still reversal, the truth in some which ways. Is still, sometimes, right? Sometimes, yeah. yeah. <laughs> uh, and then in perfect reversal, the astronomers just do the math about where the planets are going to be, but don't care about why the planets move. Right, right. So if you, so if you present this puzzle They're to... They're kind of like engineers or something. 
Exactly right. So if you present the puzzle to the engineer and you say, but why does the planet go backwards at this point? They say, it's not my job. (laughs) Exactly. And then you're like, all right. So you go and talk to the philosophers and the physicists and you say, so where is the planet going to be on the sky when it goes backwards? And they say, that's not my job. Right. And for sure, they look down on the other. It isn't just... Exactly, right? Yeah, Yeah, the general rule in ancient Greece was if you do things with your hands, you're lower on the social ladder. Oh, really? Okay. So since mathematicians do things like use tools, they're seen as less important. Yeah, that sort of uh, still exists, I suppose. Yep, I I think we've inherited a lot of that. Yeah. Yeah. So, So we've got this strange place where the what seems like an obvious puzzle to us and an unacceptable puzzle right Uh we need to solve this problem um, does not really live as a serious problem for them because it's in this middle ground where no one really has responsibility oh really so there was because there was no job wait but I i thought the job of the philosophers was to figure out was to figure out why but you're, you're bringing to the philosophers a mathematical puzzle, which is why, why is Mars at this point of the sky and not this point of the sky at a particular time? Oh, so and is a, it that the philosophers don't want to get dragged down into doing something like figuring out a mechanical model? Exactly right. Yeah. <laughs> they, they don't want to have to wow. make observations themselves or do calculations. That's, that's a low-class thing. Wow. So, re- so, for instance, what Einstein... Einstein's job mm-hmm. was menial to them. Yeah, that's right. Not Actually as menial as yeah, not as menial as the data entry guys who are the astronomers. Right. No, right. <laughs> <laughs> um, so this is actually this is the status quo for like a thousand years. Wow, generally accepted. So one of, and this this seems preposterous to us that this is an obvious flaw in the system, but uh, when you think about the disciplines as being separated in this way, then it's not really a big deal. Well, it sounds like also there's some there's like a religious bias or something where um, they don't want to accept the they don't even want to accept the possibility that it's just a machine that we live in. Uh, so the, the, the mechanical interpretation of nature is a difficult one at this time. Yeah. And this is one of these things where mathematicians like engineers are people who work with machines. So they can come up with a mechanical model in the sense that uh, you can imagine the spheres as being a series of gears that fit together. Right, and in right, fact, right. We, we just learned in the last 20 years or so that the Greeks actually had physical computers that work this way too, series yeah. of gears. Yeah. Uh, so it's called the anti-Keithra mechanism. Oh, Skype, um, Skype which we're just handle, we're still interpreting. Skype couldn't handle all those syllables. The anti. Oh, sorry. Say it again. Anti-Keithra. Anti-Keithra mechanism. Anti-Keithra. Right. Which, um, go look Google that it. up. There's a, yeah, there's a great. I've seen a number of like Discovery Channel type shows mm-hmm. or whatever. Yeah. It was uh, discovered on a. Uh, it was had sunk on a ship and it was discovered in. Right. It was a shipwreck. Yeah, and we had no idea, and it's only been, like I said, last few years that we've been able to um, make sense of it. Yeah. But it's essentially a box um, about the size of like uh, a cereal box, mm-hmm. and it had a gear on the side, and you would crank the gear, and then there's a series of mechanical gears inside that moved like the 
equations did in the mathematician's yeah. models. Yeah. And then on the front, you would see like what the phase of the moon was or whatnot. Right. Basically uh, a, like a clock or like a watch. Yep, exactly. So, so one, so one move you might make is to look at that and say, well, if I can explain the motion of the spheres just as gears moving, then maybe that's the right way to think about the universe, right? The universe is a giant machine with parts that just fit together. Yeah, this is interesting. And that's, that's it, right? Yeah. Even in, 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 and again, in science somewhat, uh, as we've sort of touched on re- repeatedly throughout our previous episodes, um, often it happens that somebody figures out something mathematical and then says, well, the math shows this is how, this is, these are the patterns I see. Mm-hmm. And, but that would indicate something crazy. But then sometimes the crazy idea, like a black hole, Right. Actually, it turns Sometimes out it works out. Mm-hmm. It's real. So we might very well have been living inside gears, which is really kind of weird and disturbing. <laughs> <laughs> the so, Terry Gilliam universe. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Exactly. <laughs> so this kind of model um, gets Christianized through the Middle Ages. Mm. So in, say, astronomy books, when you see depictions of these nested spheres outside the final sphere, um, you'll see angels, for instance. So there was the sense that, yeah, it did work like a machine, but there was this divine force that started the whole thing that sort of keeps everything moving uh-huh, uh-huh. just past the edge of the stars. Um, so there's this kind of literal depiction of, the yes, it's a machine, but it's embedded within this larger religious superstructure. Uh, so in fact, that in a way, from our point of view, behind the stars yep. are angels. Mm-hmm. And yep. all kinds Push, of pushing, yeah, pushing the celestial spheres around. Wow. <laughs> <laughs> so I'm gonna. I, I as so many doors have opened. I'm going to say that we have some. We have a number of amazing visions that we have painted this morning. Cool. And next week, we're going to journey mm. through Plato's universe. And, uh, and, and ask things like, can we hear it? Huh? Can you hear it moving? And, uh, well, let's just touch on that just as a teaser. Could we hear it? Um, it depends who you ask exactly. Okay. So there's a particular group of Greek weirdos called the Pythagoreans. Yes. Um, who say yes. And Plato is kind of a pseudo Pythagorean. Um, and they said that there is a literal music of the spheres that you can actually hear them going around if you're in the right state of mind. Um, exactly how you go about doing this is unclear, but it's because uh, they were very secretive about their practices, so we don't precisely know. But the Pythagoreans did think that this was a thing you could hear if you were in the right kind of state of mind. So they could sit on the beach. Yep. In, and you uh, could hear Jupiter going overhead. Whoa. Well. We can imagine ways that they got into that state of mind. Yes. <laughs> if you are so inclined. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Wow. That's, and and uh, it's, uh, it's not falafel. It is not falafel. It's All not, the falafel's great. Yeah. yeah. Or spanakopita. <laughs> or, you know, sometimes a, a, a gyro, which they would pronounce hero. Is that right? Yep. I have had some, some heavenly gyros in yeah. my time. And I've had others that have just, you know, sent me into a state <laughs> of... Dizziness. <laughs> yeah. 
too much, too much of too too many onions. <laughs> anyway, well, uh, then, and since it's sort of an onion-shaped universe, works out fine. Oh snap! <laughs> sponsored by the Onion. We are not sponsored by the Onion, but we are sponsored by a group which you mentioned. Mm-hmm. Um, although you were speaking of them when they were employed, uh, yes, we we are. Um, proudly sponsored by a group, a uh, company called the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. Not a company, a guild. A guild. A guild right? of, of the many guilds, the Unemployed An Association of skilled people. Yeah, yeah. Uh, very skilled, not at being unemployed, but at philosophy. And <laughs> <laughs> why they're unemployed, uh, we don't know. And yet in this unemployed state, the guild is tremendously productive. And they make all, they're very witty people, as I imagine these, these philosophers in ancient Greece were as well. And um, uh, they come up with all kinds of amazing uh, inventions, like uh, mugs that, uh, that when you pour hot water in them, the mug transforms itself. There are other, other little dolls, like little dolls of scientists that have holes in the bottom, and you can put them on your finger. Mm-hmm. As though they were alive. a finger puppet. And it comes alive. Yes. The finger puppet lives. Carl Sagan can be on your finger and you can make him say things that you wanted him to say, or he can make your finger say things that he said. That's amazing. Either way. Philosophersguild.com is where they're at. And the most exciting part of this sponsorship for us is that we will send you a wonderful uh, toy gift, witty product from uh, the Unemployed Philosophers Guild. We'll send it to you uh, if you send us uh, some ideas that we use on the show. So, so all kinds of things. What, what the if? And uh, it, it can be far, far ranging, you know. Um, any kind of what the if scenario um, that will spin out and find science in. Because I think you always do. If you go in with a science backpack on, <laughs> Everything you're going to pull out are, is science tools that will read you, that will give you more information and fun and imagination. So uh, send in your ideas. If you go, go back through our previous episodes, you can find all of them on our website, whattheif.com. And uh, you'll see a number of them were fan-suggested uh, ideas. Uh, we, we call all of you in the audience ifers because we all, we all carry that big if with us. And uh, we, are, we are if ninjas. Uh, we have, you know, we can throw the if at things and uh, win valuable prizes. So uh, send those ideas on Twitter. We have a big audience on Twitter, which is exciting. And I don't know how many of you are bots, but you, <laughs> you bots are as welcome as the non-bots. I don't, I can't say human because I don't know what all the others are. Okay. But we have bots and non-bots, as far as I know. I cannot tell the difference, and uh, but I would like all of you, bot and non-bot, to send something. You know, tweet at what the if show. That's our Twitter handle, what the if show, all one word. And uh, go, to, you know, look at our uh, Twitter stream, and you'll see all kinds of beautiful pictures from NASA. I, I post the astronomy picture of the day uh, every day, and. Uh, all kinds of breaking news from NASA and space news and physics news and science news and all kinds. And sometimes just funny news. <laughs> just because that's weird. And uh, 
It's sometimes just some bizarre photograph of something I passed on the street, as one is wont to do in today's modern age. So, What The If Show on Twitter. We're also on Facebook, What The If. And um, any other... Uh, if there's a social outlet, social media outlet, that you know about, that you're on, and you... Know who feel like wow? What the if could engage here? There's people here who'd be interested in, in our show. Let us know and and mention us there, including all wherever you get your podcasts. Put a rating there. That really helps people find us amidst the the muck and the mire. Uh, you know, there's a uh, unlike a beautiful crystal sphere. The app stores, the various app stores, uh, <coughs> or music libraries or podcast libraries. It's, it's like a sphere of sludge and the one jewel like the moon is our show and some of the other great shows so, so you must be like Plato's demiurge and filter that jewel from the chaos have the urge to demiurge <laughs> that's what we will do and so next week we're going to get into uh, a rocket ship and we'll t- I'll, I'll ask you uh, I'm curious to find out today imagine to space in any kind of way. The farthest back I can imagine is like Jules Verne's very luxurious space capsules. He didn't skimp skimp on the materials. I'm going to go. Why not go? And um, so next week we fly into Plato's universe of spheres. And we're going to have, we're going to very quickly have a problem that first of all, it's all the size, it's the size of the distance from us to the moon. That's all contracted, and we don't know what these spheres are made of, and they didn't know either. So this is going to be an imaginary journey of their space program going into their universe. That's pretty cool. All right. Are you excited, Matt? It'll be great. Um, We'll have to think about what to pack. Oh, yeah. That's a good point. What would the Greeks have packed uh, to to bring along on their journey? But certainly they would have brought... um, an unemployed philosophers. They, they probably would have bought. There's. I'm pretty sure there's a Plato and Socrates. There, are, there's a number of Greek wise folks represented in puppet form oh, yeah. at philosophersguild.com, and uh, surely they would have brought one of those. That's super neat. Leave it. Yeah. We were here. Gre- you know, write graffiti. So they would. One of them's gonna probably see Eudoxus or one of those guys who got left behind would have scratched their they would have spoiled it and they would have scratched their name in the crystal sphere oh yeah I like it you know and, and, and who knows what kind of trouble they <clears throat> get into with that next week pack your bags pack your 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 Greek trail mix uh, I'm not sure if Spanakopita lasts but it's very delicious mm, it is delicious bring that baklava that's Greek oh, that sounds good yeah, yeah. and um Falafels, uh, gy- gyros, heroes. Yeah, mm-hmm. we'll stop in Philadelphia. We'll pick up some heroes, and uh, off we go. And as we launch into the sky, we will shout, "What the uh, if, 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 if?" Bye now. <laughs>